I would like you to open your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 32, please. Jeremiah chapter 32. This week we will consider another reason why Jesus came to die on the cross. And it is to make a new covenant. I have three points to cover this evening briefly. The promise of a new covenant, the problem with the old covenant, and the perfection of the new covenant. We'll begin with the promise of a new covenant. We're in Jeremiah chapter 32. This is on the heels of Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 to 33, or 34, excuse me. But this one is a composite, one verse composition that gives us the flavor of the previous chapter, the 31st chapter. In Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 40, we read, And I will make an everlasting covenant with them, that I will not turn away from doing them good, but I will put my fear in their hearts, so that they will not depart from me. The word covenant, the Hebrew word barith, is a binding agreement, an alliance, or a pledge. It can be between man and man, or between God and man. It's a covenant. Marriage is a covenant. It's an agreement between two human beings, a man and a woman. It's an agreement that is binding. It's a pledge that is made, a promise. That's why in wedding ceremonies they say wedding vows. They make vows to one another. They promise and they pledge. And there's a token of that promise. And the token is the ring that is given to the man and to the woman. As I said, it, it, uh, it is between man and man, or between God and man, and is usually accompanied by a sign or a pledge of some sort. John Piper, in his book, uh, 50 Reasons Why Jesus Came to Die, says, and I quote, The term covenant refers to a solemn binding agreement between two parties carrying obligations for both sides, and enforced by an oath. In the Bible, the covenants God makes with man are initiated by himself. He sets the terms. His obligations are determined by his own purposes. End of quote. Our text here in Jeremiah 32.40 refers to God making an everlasting covenant, which according to the previous chapter, chapter 31, is a new covenant, significantly different from the previous covenant, or the old covenant. At the time that Jeremiah was writing, the covenant that they knew at that time was the covenant that God made with Israel. Uh, all the way back in the book of Exodus, through uh, Moses. This new covenant would be an everlasting covenant, as opposed to the old covenant which Jeremiah chapter 31 says they broke. In this new covenant, it would not be them that would be keeping the covenant, it would be God. And this is what makes the distinction. When we're looking at Christ coming to make a new covenant, here Jeremiah says, and I will make an everlasting covenant. This is yet future when Jeremiah writes this. It is yet future. But this new covenant, the reason it is everlasting is because it involves Christ. He says, that I will not turn away from doing them good. This covenant would be entirely on God's side. It was interesting in, in uh, Piper's book um, what this study that we're doing is based upon. I have chosen to use uh, some of his headings. 
I've chosen to use some of the scripture verses he uses as proof texts. But in this particular chapter, talking about, he says that is to bring them to faith and to keep them faithful. Uh, But what he says in the chapter is that what makes the new covenant different from the old covenant is that in the new covenant uh, they will be regenerate, whereas in the old covenant they were not. And that's part of it. But that isn't what makes it an everlasting covenant, the fact that they are regenerate. What makes it an everlasting covenant is that it cannot be broken because it is a covenant that is made between God the Father and God the Son. As I said, this covenant would be entirely on God's side. It would not involve man's obligation. Because as Piper so eloquently said, and I quote, the term covenant refers to a solemn binding agreement between two parties carrying obligations for both sides and enforced by an oath. That's the way a covenant is made. When you make marriage vows and you pledge to be faithful to your spouse, that faithfulness is not a conditional uh, pledge. You're not saying, I promise to be faithful as long as you promise to be faithful. But the moment you cease being faithful, I will cease being faithful. That isn't what a covenant is based upon. The covenant is based upon obligations that are laid at the feet of each person making the pledge. And they are making the pledge independent of the other person. They are saying, I promise to do this. And the other person says, I promise to do this. And so it's a mutual agreement that is made. So, as the beginning, and because we're trying to make these as brief as possible, that is, in a nutshell, the promise of a new covenant. Secondly, the problem with the old covenant... I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 9, please. Hebrews chapter 9. In all of the book of Hebrews, uh, if you were to want to study about the significance of the new covenant, you would study the entire book of Hebrews. Because the whole book of Hebrews is a theological address to the Jews of the superiority of of the priesthood of Christ over the priesthood of Aaron. Aaron was the first priest. The Aaronic priesthood is that which was passed on from generation to generation. Those were the priests that were visiting uh, the uh, tabernacle and then ultimately the temple. The high priest was chosen from those priests among uh, the Levitical priesthood from the tribe of Levi, uh, formed initially by God through Aaron, the brother of Moses. But the entire book of Hebrews is all about the superiority of the priesthood of Christ. But in Hebrews chapter 9, beginning in verse 6, notice what the writer says. Now when these things had been thus prepared, talking about the sacrifices under Aaron's sacrifices. Now when these things had been thus prepared, the priests always went into the first part of the tabernacle, performing the services. But into the second part, the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit indicating this, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. Now this verse 9 is where I want us to focus our attention. This earthly tabernacle, he said, it was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience. 
concerned only with foods and drinks, various washings and fleshly ordinances, imposed until the time of Reformation. The time of Reformation is the time when Christ would come, and he would reform or change this system of sacrifices, and this new, this Reformation that would come, would implement a sacrificial system that was perfect. This one, the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, the Old Testament sacrifices that were made, they were a picture of the ultimate sacrifice that would be made by Christ. They were insufficient. As Piper said in his book, they, they did not convert the heart. They did not change the soul of the individual. And that's true. There were those in the Old Testament whom God had saved. They were redeemed. They were covenant children. They were the remnant. They were the faithful ones. But not all Israel was of Israel. Not everyone who uh, named Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as their uh, progenitors, not all of those could say with uh, authority that they belonged to God. They, they considered themselves part of the family of God, but as uh, Jesus recorded the words of Isaiah, with their lips they drew near to him. They gave a good lip service, but with their hearts they were cold to the Lord. They were far from him. Uh, their thoughts were not entirely taken up with God. But here in this portion in Hebrews chapter 9, the writer of Hebrews gives us the problem with the Old Covenant. That it did not take away our sins concerning the conscience. It did not change the conscience. It did not purify us forever. Again, verse 9. It was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience. And that was the issue. Whenever the Spirit of God works upon a man, he works upon his conscience to change the thinking, to change the heart of the man, to change his disposition. And that's what the Gospel does when God saves us. The Old Covenant refers to a conditional covenant God made with the Israelites through the law of Moses. In the Old Covenant, the Israelites were required to obey the law of God perfectly. That's what they were required to do. The Old Covenant required repeated daily animal sacrifices as a reminder of the people's sins. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 4 reveals that to us. The Old Covenant had a set of external regulations written on tablets of stone called the Law. But in the New Covenant, what God would do is write that same Law upon the tablets of the man's heart. The Old Covenant gave only the High Priest access to God once a year on the Day of Atonement. But in the New Covenant, there's what's referred to as the priesthood of the believer, that in the New Covenant, we have access to God. We can approach God. The Old Covenant, only the High Priest could approach Him once a year. And he would have to bring blood for a sacrifice first for himself to deal with his own sins so that he then was purified to present the offering for the rest of the people. But Christ, in presenting himself as the offering, didn't need to make a sacrifice for himself, didn't need to purify himself, he was already pure. And so the sacrifice he offered was not for himself, he offered the sacrifice for the people. And the Old Covenant promised to make the Israelites his treasured possession among all people if they followed God's commands. He promised to make them a treasured people above all peoples of the earth if they obeyed his commands. Go 
with me in the Old Testament to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Go back with me uh, to Deuteronomy chapter 30. I'll show you here where God laid it out through Moses of what he required of his people. Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 15. God says through Moses, See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil, in that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in His ways and to keep His commandments, His statutes and His judgments, that you may live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. That's the promise. However, if they didn't obey, they would perish. Look at verse 17. Same chapter. But if your heart turns away so that you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go in and possess. Now, where Piper is correct is where the hearts of the men were not regenerate. They had nothing keeping them following God. There was nothing to hold them to God. That was purely on their own behavior, on their, good, on their good judgment. But, of course, James reminds us that when we're tempted, we're drawn away of our own lusts. Even as our brother Bart shared with us this morning, it's not the devil who pulls you away. Philip Wilson coined that as a joke, and yet the church picked that up. The devil made me do it. But that is, if you would speak to the average Christian today, especially within the Pentecostal circles, they would blame all of the difficulties in their life on the devil. But the reality is, he says here, that these people, if they went after other gods, then they would perish. Well, what's to keep them serving God? They didn't have a regenerate heart. And so once temptations would come, perhaps they would be drawn over this way. They'd follow the argument of believing that God is just and holy and righteous until someone came along with a better argument. This happens all the time with Jehovah's Witnesses coming to the homes of nominal Bible students. The, the nominal Bible students are people who have some knowledge of the scriptures. They, they respect the Bible as the word of God. And so now this person comes into their home and has a Bible study with them. And shows them that, yeah, that the, their way of thinking is correct. And that Jesus is not God. He's the son of God. It's Jehovah God that we follow. Not Jesus. And they pull them away from the truth. But here he warns them that if they go off the path and follow after other gods, they will perish. So there was nothing there to hold them to follow God and to pursue his ways. Except the threat that they would perish if they didn't. Now again, when I began this study, I said from Jeremiah 32, that Jeremiah 32 verse 40 was pointing to, back to, Jeremiah 31. Let me read you what Jeremiah 31 Verses 31 and 32 says. Listen. Behold the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant, listen, which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. God was faithful to them. He kept his part of the bargain. He said that they would be a special treasure to him as long as they obeyed him. He continued to hold them in high esteem, but they broke his covenant. 
They repeatedly broke his covenant. They obviously weren't able to obey God and keep his commandments. Therefore, they repeatedly broke the covenant. As you and I do when we sin. As you and I do when we sin. But according to Jeremiah 32 and verse 40, the new covenant would be an everlasting covenant. One that could not be broken. But how was that to be accomplished? How was it to be accomplished that the covenant with the same kind of people, the same sinful people, how could this covenant be an everlasting covenant that could not be broken, whereas the old covenant could be broken? How is it? How could God make a new covenant, an unbreakable covenant, an everlasting covenant? And the answer would be found in Christ. That would be the answer. And that brings us to the third point. First point was the promise of a new covenant, Jeremiah 32.40. The second was the problem with the old covenant, Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 9. Now the perfection of the new covenant. You remember the old covenant was ratified by the shedding of an animal's blood. That's how the covenant was made. A covenant, to, to make a covenant they often would call it cutting a covenant. When the covenant was made with Abraham initially in Genesis chapter 15, you remember he had a series of animals and they were supposed to be parted down the middle, cut in half, separated. And then this burning lamp and smoking flax went between the separated animals and it was the presence of God going between them, God making a covenant with Abraham. Well, when the covenant that is called the Old Covenant was made, it's recorded in Exodus chapter 24. The covenant was made with blood. Exodus chapter 24 and verse 4. You're welcome to turn there, but I'm just going to read it to you. Exodus 24 and verse 4. And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord. And he rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. Then he sent young men of the children of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half the blood and put it in basins and half the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read in the hearing of the people and they said, all that the Lord said we will do and be obedient. That's their part of the covenant. God offers the covenant to them. You'll be a special people to me. The blood is made. The animals are killed. The sacrifice is made. The blood is put in a basin. Half of it is sprinkled on the altar. And then he reads the, the book. And he sprinkles blood on the book of the covenant. And he reads it to the people. And the people say, Everything you just read in that book, we agree with and we will obey. That was their part. That was their part of the covenant. And Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and said, This is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you, according to all these words. So the covenant was made initially, the covenant with Abraham in Genesis 15. It was made with blood, but it wasn't sprinkled on Abraham. The animals were sacrificed, they were split in half. The presence of God went down through the middle of them owning His covenant with Abraham. And we are still under the Abrahamic covenant to this day. 
We are still under that part that God says he will bless those who bless him. He will curse those who curse him or curse the people. That if we believe, according to Galatians chapter 3, if we believe in Jesus, we are the seed of Abraham. And the promise that God said was that he would bless the seed of Abraham. But here in this Mosaic or Old Covenant, which is commonly called the Old Covenant, the, the animals were sacrificed, the blood was poured out, half of it was sprinkled on the altar, and the other half was sprinkled on the book and on the people. And the people agreed that they would obey these words. So a blood sacrifice was made, the people agreed to the terms, and the covenant was ratified. Again, the writer of Hebrews <coughs> commented on the passage in Exodus. In Hebrews 9 and verse 18, listen to what he says, verses 18 through 20. Therefore, not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet wool and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. That's how the Old Covenant was ratified. The New Covenant that Jeremiah talked about that would be this everlasting covenant. The one that in Jeremiah 31 he says a new covenant is coming that I made not like the one I made with the house of Israel and the house of, of Judah but this one is different. This is not like the one that you broke. But this New Covenant would also be ratified with blood. Just as the Old Covenant was ratified with blood what we did this morning in the partaking of the Lord's Supper is the imagery of when Christ ratified this covenant. When he declared that this blood, this is the blood of the covenant. And the very next day he was crucified and his blood was spilt and he had made a new covenant. In the new covenant, there would be blood ratifying the covenant as well, but it wouldn't be the blood of bulls and of goats. It would be the blood of Christ. In Mark chapter 14, verse 24, Jesus on that fateful night when he was with his disciples said to them, This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. This is the blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. The new covenant would be different in that all would be on God's shoulders. All of it. It would be all up to him. The covenant was made between God the Father and God the Son. Not between God and men. We are the recipients of this covenant. But it would be between God the Father and God the Son. We've been memorizing Philippians chapter 2. I didn't really have any idea when we were going through and I started Philippians chapter 2. I didn't have any idea where we were going to go with that. I just thought it, it seemed that God impressed me that that would be a good place to memorize. Uh, Philippians 2 verses 1 through 11. But as we've been memorizing, we find in verse 8 that Philippians chapter 2 verse 8 reveals to us that Christ had this arrangement with the Father. It was a covenant between the Father and the Son. Not between Abraham and God but between God the Son and God the Father. Philippians 2 8 And being found in appearance as a man just like the covenant with Abraham was a covenant between God and man, and the covenant with Moses was between God and man, so the covenant with Christ is between God and man, but it's not just a man. 
And it's not just mankind at large. It is the God-man. The covenant is made with the God-man. So that he is making a covenant with man. But this is a man who is sinless. Who can never, ever sin. So being found in appearance as a man, he, meaning Christ, tumbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So the question is begged here in this verse, to whom did he become obedient? Who was he obeying? He became obedient to God the Father. As the blood sacrifice that would ratify the new covenant. He's doing what the Father sent him to do. And this decision was decided before time began. Revelation chapter 13 verse 8. If you've never underlined this verse in your Bible, it's a great verse to underline. Revelation 13 verse 8. Which tells us that he was the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He's talking there about those whose names were not written in the lamb's book of life slain from the foundation of the world. The Revelation chapter 13 verse 8 tells us when this covenant was agreed upon. When this covenant was cut between God the Father and God the Son. It was determined before the foundation of the world or from the foundation of the world that Christ would be crucified. So that's why when we come to Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4, it says this, But when the fullness of the time had come, the fullness of what time? The fullness of the time that God the Father had arranged with God the Son, there was coming a time when you will ratify a new covenant. That's what Jeremiah spoke of in Jeremiah 31, a new covenant. That's what Jeremiah spoke of in Jeremiah 32, an everlasting covenant. A covenant that God would make, this everlasting covenant. Galatians 4, 4, But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, so that He's a man, Born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. This is the fulfillment of that covenant made between God the Father and God the Son. It was a new covenant. It was a perfect covenant. It was an everlasting covenant. The reason that God can say, you broke the old covenant, but the implication in in Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34, is that this one can't be broke. And then in chapter 32 of Jeremiah, it says it's an everlasting covenant. That in Jeremiah 32, 40, in that covenant, God said that he would change the hearts of his people. He said in Jeremiah 32, 40, but I will put my fear in their hearts so that they will not depart from me. Now, They're not going to not depart from him because they have the strength to stay with him. They are going to not depart from him because he is the one doing the work. We're going to look at this next week when we go into verses 3 and following in Philippians chapter 1 when we come to verse 6. That he who began the good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. That he's the one who started it and he's the one who will finish it. And the reason that we will stay in fellowship with God is not because we have a stronger disposition than we did before. And not even because Christ dwells in us. Because we can still sin. 
but it's because it is Christ holding us. The reason the new covenant would be a perfect covenant was the new covenant was made with Christ and not with sinful man. That's why your hope is secure and my hope is secure. Because the covenant that I am brought into, this new covenant that Christ ratified, sitting at the table with his disciples, holding up the glass of wine, saying this is the blood of the new covenant. And they all drank it. And the very next day, he was nailed to a cross. His flesh for our flesh. His blood for our blood. And he ratified the new covenant with his blood. A covenant that can never be broken. Because it's between God the Father and God the Son. And Christ will remain faithful forever and ever and ever. In Hebrews 9.15, the writer of Hebrews speaks of Christ and it says, He is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death. He is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death. In Exodus chapter 24, when Moses ratified the old covenant by sprinkling the blood on the altar and then on the book and on the people, the old covenant was ratified by blood. The new covenant is ratified by blood as well. But rather than killing an animal and taking his blood, the new covenant is ratified by taking Christ's life by means of death. So, Mark 14.24 comes true when Jesus said, This is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for many. Why did Christ come to die? He came to die to make a new covenant. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Let's pray. Our Father, we are reminded again this evening that we serve a mighty God. And that you have not left the details of our salvation in our unfaithful hands. You have not left the fate of our salvation in our withering strength. You have not left the fate of our salvation in our double-minded hearts. You've left the fate of our salvation in the hands of your Son, the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Thank you for having mercy on us. Thank you for drawing us to yourself. Thank you for saving us. And we're ashamed tonight when we think of how easily we are drawn away to follow after the things of this world, the leeks and the garlic back in Egypt. And as we repent of our sins, we give thanks to you that you have not placed the weight of our eternal life upon our fragile life but upon the firm rock of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father. Remind us of this throughout the week. Send us away this evening with your blessings, knowing full well that you who began the good work in us, you will perform it. You will complete it all the way to the day of Jesus Christ, so that to be absent from the body will be to be present with the Lord. We thank you. 
And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.